do the dollars that you invest in the market and your 401k match your ideological beliefs? Today's guest, the co-author of The Clean Money Revolution, may have something to say about that. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to episode 73. We are speaking with the co-author of The Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism. We have a great conversation with Joel Solomon, the chairman of Renewal Funds and board chair of Hollyhock. He's very engaged with mission-driven investing, and that's what his company does. Our conversation will wander around how maybe it's tough for companies that are doing good to also make uh, the same type of returns expected by other companies that, frankly, damage the environment and don't ever have to pay for it. Uh, We'll get a lot of different looks at uh, what Joel thinks about when he talks about the clean money revolution. Enjoy. I'm so happy to have on the show today Joel Solomon, the chairman of Renewal Funds, board chair of Hollyhock, and of course the co-author of Clean Money Revolution, Reinventing Power, Purpose, and Capitalism. Joel, how's it going, man? Pretty good today. I really appreciate you having me on, George. Yeah, we're going to have some fun lots to cover. So in that very impressive intro. Can you give us a brief on some of those elements, renewal funds, give a quick shout out to Hollyhock, explain to people what it is you do. I'll start with Hollyhock. Hollyhock's a not-for-profit I've been involved with for over 35 years that provides lifelong leadership education with a beautiful campus on Cortez Island and then programs in Vancouver and elsewhere. Renewal funds is my day job, and we are a mission venture capital firm based in Vancouver. We invest in the U.S. and Canada. Our investors are U.S., Canadian, European, and Asian. We are made up mostly of individuals, families, charitable foundations, and boutique wealth managers. And we invest in companies in organics and environmental technologies that are at growth stage ready to produce good market rate returns for our investors. So does this fall under the umbrella of social impact investing? How, you know, how do you think about it? Because you expect a return, right? You're not just saying, hey, here's, um, here are some dollars, go do great things in the world. You're expecting a return. That's right. So the world is loaded up with language that is struggling to figure out what the right language is for things that go beyond the financial bottom line only. So there's a lot of terms out there. If you're interested, I'll talk more about them. But right now, I'll just say that we have chosen to call ourselves Mission Venture Capital. That delineates uh, that it is mission first. Is this product or service? Are the entrepreneurs about something that makes an advance in their field. And that advance would be uh, not only uh, something that they can make money on, but something that takes into consideration environmental and social factors. So we think that each company we invest in is inherently moving the bar towards something better 
And that's what I believe is the reason to uh, invest money and what we should be doing in, in every one of our purchases, investments, banking, and all of that the best we can. Yeah, and it's a logical conclusion that you, in working with renewal funds, you talk about, gosh, is it $40 trillion, you say, that's upcoming in terms of money moving around the United States in the coming years? I've changed the term to $50 trillion now because I am talking about North America, mm. and I, I think that that number might be growing rapidly through inflation, through uh, growth of the economy and, and things like that. But it's well projected now, uh, this is a, a, a well-known among uh, financial circles, that there will be something like $50 trillion that passes hands simply through death and generational transfer. And that is only in North America. So there is a lot of money on the planet, and it is moving into hands with a different viewpoint on the world, who've grown up in the digital era and understand a lot more about the challenges on the planet than maybe previous generations did. So that's the state that uh, write this book into. Yeah, as we move into what you call the largest transfer of wealth in human history, I believe, you yes. start talking about the clean money revolution. Can you speak to the components of what you mean when you talk about a revolution? We're not talking Hamilton here, right? We don't have any show tunes. <laughs> maybe, maybe someday. One show tune. We'll have uh, one show tune. Okay. Well, the revolution, of course, is a call to action. And that revolution is a consciousness revolution that then turns into making choices that are better for the long-term future. I believe that we've lost track to a large degree of the past, <clears throat> and I believe we've lost track of the future and our responsibility to the future. So clean money revolution, I, I would say, is two components. Number one, we really need to understand who and where, what places are affected by the money that we own that is in our name, that's in our pocket right now. And we also need to understand where the products and services that keep our lives going and create civilization, but that we benefit from. We need to understand the full life cycle of where those things come from as we buy them. So if we were to awaken consciousness and take full responsibility for this, Movements like organic food and fair trade and uh, fair wages and uh, creating, uh, thinking about uh, fairness on, on the planet in public policy, uh, in protecting the commons and in planning for the long-term future, the more that we do that as societies and as humanity, that will create a revolution that changes the face of the economy. I believe it also happens to be the biggest money-making opportunity in history. That's not the, really the goal for me and why I'm putting this message forth, but that is to provide comfort that we do, we will have uh, economic activity and people need to be able to support themselves and, and attempt to have the life that they want. But it would be a revolution if we shift from my job is to make more money without regard to the cost to society or ecology. And that and we shift to, it is my responsibility to understand 
how the money that I transact or have influence on is affecting people and places. And there are many, many opportunities emerging across the landscape to invest better and in the future that we would like to see. That's my premise. Yeah. I like the analogy you also pull out when you talk about this in some ways, or maybe this is me, the farm to table concept, right? We don't want our meat costing the environment, hitting us up with these negative externalities. And it's a sort of follow the money in terms of making sure it's got clean oranges. It's It's got uh, a real positive impact. Uh, you know, while this is a good, you know, in theory type of practice, I'm forced to, to realize that our system, you know, of, of capitalism is fundamentally built around the return for shareholder. It's the immutable truth that people are going to continue to push money into the most profitable pieces. And while clean money may be a big opportunity, I have to say, you know, uh, the people out there chanting drill, baby, drill are still making money, um, you know, oil prices notwithstanding, and other disreputable ways of making money. Uh, where do you and how do you define the, the clean money versus dirty money? Is that, you know, cut and dry for you? And how do you respond to that immutable truth that we are in it for shareholder value first and foremost? Yes. <clears throat> well, you asked uh, a lot in that <laughs> wandering that question. Question there. <laughs> so you just you just just bring me back, you know, but I'll, I'll I'll give it a shot, and say first of all that things are changing in terms of shareholder value. Employee retention in the millennial generation is a whole different ballgame. Social license, the ability to operate and be supported to operate when exploiting natural resources or labor uh, in in North America and abroad, the terms are changing. Information era is bringing us more understanding that the destruction of uh, the climate, uh, most uh, first and foremost, of species, of soil, of the ocean's ability to uh, thrive and, and provide food sources and, and other things for us. Science is telling us that the way we've been doing it what it, with, without judgment uh, is, is, is reaching its limits. We have overshot the capacity of the planet to provide what we need to support what is now seven and a half billion people going on 10, which was two and a half when I was born. So there are enormous forces that are moving us towards what will soon enough be a commonly accepted practice that the era where we could neglect externalities, life cycle analysis, what had to be done to exploit, take advantage of, bribe, steal, <laughs> enslave, somewhere far around the world in order to make ourselves a little bit better return rate. Number one is morally wrong. Number two is bad for the future of society and we need our public institutions to be guardians and, and stewards of that for us and set rules and regulations about how we do things. So those will continue to move. And then number three, simply survival instinct combined with the opportunity to continue making money, but just to do it with things like you mentioned, you mentioned oil. So oil and fossil fuels are a super precious 
commodity. And there are things they're used for in healthcare, uh, in communications, in, in places where you get very high value. Burning fossil fuels to move an automobile around or to heat our home is actually rapidly no longer necessary. And instead, we can invent, invest in infrastructures like solar collectors, wind turbines, geothermal, many other uh, uh, energy creation technologies that are coming on strong now, and then get free energy from nature uh, that becomes a, a, a kind of infinite source for the long-term future. So a lot of this is logical and rational. Uh, yes, there's a moral and ethical component, but we have a responsibility as the stewards of generations, of what people are going to have generations from now, and we need to think long-term again, and that should be also financially successful. I think the issue with the idealistic argument here is the fact that those negative externalities, the, the fact that we are using Earth's resources in a tragedy of the commons way, uh, is unsustainable, doesn't matter because that true price is not realized in the stock price. The fact right. that the entire system is just literally right now, the entire market just cares about how they're going to hit their Q3 numbers. And you're talking about decades into the future, they need to hit Q3. They need to make sure that they are keeping up with the market. And there is... Um, I just I have a hard time. I do believe that you can influence institutions, and we've seen examples of college students protesting how the you know massive endowments are being moved around. But on an individual level, and as a system-wide thing, I just uh, I just don't see how we get from zero to one in terms of moving money toward the the clean money revolution. Well, my, my, you know, your points are, are well taken, and it is not easy to turn around major systems. But, but mine is that it will become more profitable to do things in a better way. And there'll be a combination of factors that create that. And part is regulatory, part is consumer demand, part is practical limits and the, the costs that come from doing things poorly and continuing to do things poorly. If we collapse uh, major food, fish, species on the planet, if we destroy our base of soil and can no longer grow food or uh, do, do uh, animal husbandry, if we uh, change the temperature of the planet such that dramatic uh, uh, changes happen to our shorelines and to uh, our ability to continue living the way that we have right now, it will become very, very expensive through regulation and through uh, uh, customer resistance to sell things that are indeed highly damaging and everybody knows it. So transparency in, in digital era is going to make a big difference. We, we have a challenge on the part of government regulation, the, 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 the steward of the commons, because we have uh, had various interests, I'll say, uh, but, or, or maybe uh, just uh, people having more information, being disappointed with the way governance systems in the public sector work today. But we need to have it. Uh, we won't uh, survive 10 billion people on the planet free for all. 
and we can improve uh, we can improve our systems. We can uh, do all the things we need to feel more comfortable with it. But we're getting in between a rock and a hard place. So I believe this will cause change. Yeah, I you know I'm I'm forced to think about those those different options. Uh, and you know going back to the farm to table uh, concept. Yeah. One of the pieces that we see is with the farm to table movement is that you know my organic eggs cost like 3x that of you know something that pops off a factory farm doing you know the the negative damage to the environment but then if you are living on you know paycheck to paycheck is it really fair yes. to say like oh no 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 you have to eat organic because that's what's healthy oh no 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 you have to keep any money that you're able to save away in this other type of good fund clean money mutual fund we'll call it uh, because you know we can't have you making the highest rate of return because it costs the environment. Isn't this a big classist or at least sort of only an opportunity for people that are like, you know what, I will take 10, 20% of my dollars and put it into the feel-good money stocks, the feel-good money funds? Uh, no, it is not fair to, <laughs> not fair to do that. say okay. to people. It is not fair to people who are struggling to put a, put a roof over their head and feed their children to impose moral judgments on on how they should uh, take handle those things. Uh, obviously, speaking to seven and a half billion people in in one concept is not easy. But you've moved into the issues of justice, and I share your perspective uh, that at least that I think you expressed right there a lot, which is uh, we who have much have continued to manipulate and influence the system to push taxes to those who can least afford it and to reduce taxes on those who can most afford it. We have, we have influenced governments to provide massive subsidies to industries that are making enormous amounts of money because they have the ability to influence those systems. <clears throat> and we're doing many things that defy actual common sense. Now, it is common sense to say, I need to take care of my family and whatever else is on my list of things I believe I need to do. It's a natural human instinct. And therefore, I'm going to invest in cancer-causing, slave-dependent, massive ecologically damaging types of industries because I can make more money that way and it's legal. Well, that's a choice that people can make. And they, they have to make that choice. My, my belief is that given infor the information era that we're in, given the growth of alternatives and the soaring values on the stock market and elsewhere, uh, as renewables plunge in price, as uh, green buildings become legislated because of their climate impact, as the number of automobiles uh, pumping out uh, uh, combustion motor uh, exhaust versus electric and uh, lower lower impact vehicles. Just I'm going to go back to and, and, I, and agree with your formula and say the best money is going to be made by those with the innovation and the disruptive industries that are based on a smarter long-term principle. What we do about injustice on the planet is a tougher challenge and it does have to do with not only personal responsibility in terms of money, but it also has to do with our electoral systems 
democracy, other other governance systems that are out there. And it's also our responsibility to be good citizens. And as good citizens, we need to participate. We need to step up and be willing to hold public office. And we need to be much wiser and more intelligent about the discourse around politics and public service and understand what an incredible responsibility it is for those who put their careers into that. And that is where the root of injustice is going to change because tax reform alone can shift huge amounts of capital. Uh, regulating externalities where we've used the rivers of the world as basically sewage lines and just dump stuff into it. And we've been able to believe in a, in a, in a framework that says, I can just dump these things into the environment and they'll go away. But they don't go away and they come back to haunt us. So I think I'll take a little pause there in your neck <laughs> from, your, from your last compl complex question. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> all right. So to bring this back to practicality, right now you have me and maybe some of the listeners kind of thinking about where their money is right now. And maybe that's a part yeah. of this, right? I'm like, oh, shit. You know what? Right yeah. now, look, I'm in market tracking funds because they're safe. They're mutual funds run by Vanguard. They don't take a huge fee. It's what, you know, generally smart investments mean you're doing in a 401k, money you want to manage. And now you're telling me I am ruining the planet. What are like the action steps here? Just bring it tangibly. Like even for me, like what, you know, are you saying right now I'm like trying to save up, I'm eventually have a family. I should take this money out of these market tracking funds and move it where like follow Elon Musk's next move and you know gamble on Tesla so you're asking an ex another excellent question and part of the reality is it takes a long time to change major systems so I've been been, been uh, benefited with access to watching this kind of clean money concept grow over several decades it just happened to me naturally due to health situation and other factors in my life that I became concerned about why. Uh, well, first of all, I started. I realized at one point that as I was able to be recognized from a block away by the cough that I had at age 19 from two packs of cigarettes a day, then and, and and realized that some people sitting in a corporate headquarters were making a lot of money and having a big grin on their face as I basically led my way towards uh, cancer and maybe other disasters. And, and that caused me to drop that. And as I looked at many of the other things in my life, um, I, you know, I made similar kinds of changes. But the breakthrough was I was able to get involved in some organizations and networks where there were people coming together around the idea of the powerful force that money, finance, and business are to actually create positive change in the world. So I think you take capitalism and you apply values and you apply logic and you find what's coming tomorrow that you feel is more constructive. So back to the beginning of that point, it takes a long time to change systems, particularly the financial system, which would be well, one of, if not the largest on the planet. And the good news is that over this last 30 years, 
product by product, small opportunity by a little bit larger opportunity. There is now, the, it's, it's on the landscape. It's, the, these products are not widely available yet, nor are there many numerous of them so that you can pick and choose between them. And we are at a painful moment where I'm going to go around and, and preach this, so to speak, and people are going to say, well, where do I get some of it? And I can't answer all of that. When you have, let's say, a so-called ideas revolution, first you've got to plant the idea, and then, you, then young people in their careers will realize what huge financial opportunity they have to fill the gap of demand that I hope I'm going to help create for them by, the, by, by this message. And I know that right now, products, the, the news is everywhere. If you read financial news and particularly look at the part of it that has to do with what I'm talking about, you'll see that the biggest financial firms on the planet are creating products that are designed to serve you and me who want to do it better. I'd say give it 10 more years and this is going to be ubiquitous. Right now, you got to do a little work. You got to dig around and you have to make some choices. And anybody that believes the stock market is safe and will always increase, uh, you know, can growth continue unabated forever? I, I suggest you, uh, you, know, you think carefully about that question. Yeah. It's interesting because I think what we are actually seeing, the, maybe the tip of the iceberg or the indications that you know millennials are the most thoughtful, socially engaged generation, uh, comes more from the consumption side. Literally, I'm walking down the grocery aisle. I'm choosing my you know purchases. However, when we move massive amounts of money, personally speaking, percentage basis, the options yes. available simply aren't on the shelf. And I can be more specific. But right now, for example, whole whale social impact business. You know, we're we're working with nonprofits. We don't take on a good number of clients that could make us money, uh, and we offer a 401k. In those options, as good as I'm trying to be as a company, there's no button for me to click for my employees to click that says, "Don't be a jerk with your money." And that's where most of it's going. How do you respond to that, or what does that provoke in you? Well, I'm going to put in a plug for a couple of my friends who have a company called the Green 401k. Okay, there we go. That's a good quiz. Yeah, I actually have that product. I, it, you know, they're small boutique and they're they're growing the best they can. But I think I could point to examples like that across the landscape of financial products. So I, I think well, what I would ask right now of you and the many others who are attempting to do better is is use some some of your moments to research and keep digging around and and then and also going to your existing managers and aggravate them and just keep doing it because you're not the only one aggravating them and they are struggling and they're aware they're aware of the changes going on this extends to you know you've said you you focus on not-for-profits and that's for a reason people in their employment are beginning to be more cautious about where they go to work. They, they want to believe they're working for people who care and are working for their interests long term. And this, 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 the trend is everywhere and things will start to change in a more accelerated fashion.
So I want to talk uh, maybe a bit back to the, the renewal funds and your work in the the day-to-day on the ground. Uh, and coming back to, for example, with Whole Whale, we could be a company that grows a lot faster, make a lot more money uh, if we worked with uh, certain types of, well, you know, uh, dirty money, for lack of a better term, uh, money that simply, you know, makes, uh, makes people fatter, the environment poorer, uh, and so on. Uh, in, in your renewal funds, is it true that you expect the same returns uh, that match the market of, of the companies you invest in, uh, even though they're taking into account the, the social benefit? Yes. Uh, this may be uh, a little cocky, but we're convinced that we're at the, the cusp of, of a shift in history where investing in organic food and skin care and in environmental technologies is actually a better place to invest money than in number of the old school industries and sectors that have prior been the places to make the most money. So that again won't happen overnight, but our premise is we can deliver certainly above venture capital averages. That's our, that's our strong belief uh, because they're, they're actually not that good. but that we can do this because we're in industries that are early stage and in massive growth. So the demand is, is, is moving rapidly and the innovation is happening rapidly. And uh, that gives a huge opportunity for us to find things that can make a double digit compounded return rate over years for our investors and ourselves. I don't know. I don't know if the math works out. If I'm basically fighting against other industries that can, um, you know, double dip, that can basically ignore the negative externalities. But also, just on the math side, you're a, you're a one percent for the planet fund. So if I just create a fund that does what you do, and I just don't give one percent back, I'm making more than you just by math. <laughs> Maybe so, but uh, I'm attracting investors in a, in it more easily. And I need investors to have their confidence in us as a wealth manager to place half million, million dollars with us. And uh, increasingly, there are investors that are frustrated, just like you mentioned with your 401k. And ones who have enough money to invest in venture funds are looking around and they're not satisfied with what they're finding. So signals like 1% 1% for the planet and B Corporation and carbon neutral and living wage employer and these kinds of uh, commitments actually make a difference to people. A lot of people with wealth understand that they have more than enough. They, they have more than they need for survival and for just about everything they could think of to uh, take care of their families and, and you know, do good deeds in the community and things like that. Back to those trillions of dollars, there's, there's a lot of money in the world. So I'm dealing with those uh, more wealthy individuals for our company in terms of where our, where our investors come from. But those investors are supporting putting products on the shelf at ever more competitive pricing because as things get bigger, they can get economies of scale. And they're putting devices uh, for environmental issue management of various kinds. There, there, uh, there are softwares being developed that can help uh, maintain water quality around the world, can, can help with uh, 
uh, tracking uh, animal species for how their well-being and what happens when human interventions occur through industry and, and things like that. So there are a whole lot of businesses that move the bar closer to these kinds of values that I'm talking about and also can make a lot of money. And I'll finish that by saying I've been involved with organic foods for these three decades. People are making fortunes in organic food now. Big food is struggling. The major food companies are not growing very well anymore. And the way that they're and the, they're not good innovators because they've become so large and they're not trusted as much by the consumer. And so as the movement of organic foods grows, U.S., Canada, globally, um, the big food is beginning to purchase all the smaller innovative brands. Now, they can't really tear apart those brands or they lose their customers. These are brands, just like I said with uh, 1% and B Corporation, these are brands who have worked very hard to have a consumer base that supports them because of the quality and values that they provide for the consumer. So fortunes are being made in organic food, fortunes are being made in renewable energy, fortunes are being made across the landscape in new industries that are less damaging and destruction, less damage, damaging and destructive and are better for the long-term future for everybody. Okay. I feel like we could go back and forth on these complex issues with uh, with maybe maybe some resolution, maybe not. But I want to actually move into a rapid-fire round uh, and ping some questions off of you before we move to our final question. So what is coming up in the next year that has you the most excited? We will raise another fund for renewal funds. We are about to sign with a next CEO of Hollyhock, and this book is leading me into all kinds of interesting conversations and places, and I'm really excited about it. Do you believe that not-for-profits can successfully go out of business? It's not easy because people have a hard time with planned deaths, but I do believe that they can. I think they can merge. I think they can use some of the tools of the for-profit world. And I think some, maybe many not-for-profits need to go out of business as times change, issues evolve. Talk about the biggest or a mistake you've made in your career that shapes the way you do business now. <laughs> Big mistake. Um, I probably... I wish that I had been able to be smarter and clearer sooner. It took me a long time to get there, and I don't know if that's a mistake, but I, but I do believe I was a bit asleep at the wheel. What is something that you think your organization should stop doing? You can choose the organization. Yeah. Boy, I wish we could uh, stop flying airplanes until they get better fuel standards. But instead, we uh, double offset uh, our carbon offsets, and hopefully that matters and means something. Uh, if you had a magical Harry Potter wand that you could wave across the industry, uh, what would it do? 
everyone would have a beautiful night of good dreams and they would wake up in the morning committed to go out and create uh, products and services with uh, values that are aligned for the long-term well-being of all of civilization. How do not-for-profits take advantage of this clean money revolution? Well, not-for-profits uh, have a number of key needs. One is raising money, and so one thing would be to understand business and the changing landscape of business and make relationships with these better companies because the better companies are inherently ultimately going to support uh, uh, things in, in, in society and, and that are going to be good for them and make their, their customers and clients feel good. So I think not-for-profits should understand the industry and I know you want me rapid fire, but I say nonprofits need nonprofits need to understand money, business, and finance in general, so they can do better and understand how to influence issues better. In some of your interviews, you talk about not really being interested in a billion dollars. The ideology ideology of definitely in the U.S. at least of like, oh, if I if I only was a billionaire, finally I could give back. Uh, and instead, you talk about uh, being a billionaire of good deeds or a billionaire of, uh, of love. How do you measure something like that? Well, I started with the question for myself of how much is enough. That was in the face of this model that says you got to be a billionaire to be anybody. And I, I didn't I didn't I didn't like that. Uh, so how much is enough money? And I, I came up with an answer for that. And I have enough money. I'd be delighted, George, if you could give me a billion dollars right now, but I would put it back out the door pretty quickly. I think money is very powerful. So being able to use money for things that matter is great. Billionaire of love and good deeds was a concept that I came up with to deal with the with my ambition and my motivation and all these societal forces that uh, try to that end up pushing pushing us down pathways. And I said, okay, I'll be a billionaire. I, I definitely have billionaire ambition, but it's not for billionaire of money. Influence on money is important to me and valuable. Owning lots more money honestly seems dangerous. I would, I would uh, uh, urge all of us to figure out both what are our basic needs, what's enough money, aim to get there, but then figure out what really matters in life and be a billionaire of doing that. And I think that's a perfect segue into our final uh, wrap-up here. Joel, thank you so much for joining us. And as a send-off, how do people find you? How do people help you? JoelSolomon.org, S-O-L-O-M-O-N, JoelSolomon.org is... Uh, my book website that has blogs and information and interviews and et cetera to uh, look at. Uh, as with any author or idea, you can help me by sharing, posting, uh, get a book, read the book, write a review, um, all of the things you would do about to express your appreciation and support for that which you care about and believe in. All of that will help me in my journey to be a good messenger. Well, Viva la Revolution. Thank you. Uh, wonderful ideas in here. I appreciate you taking the time and sharing uh, your thoughts with us, Joel. Thanks so much, George.
the conversation was enlightening, at least for me, on many different levels, certainly personally, as I think about the way I direct my own money, where, you know, maybe in the supermarket, I send it one way, but then in my 401k, another. And, you know, sometimes that is just the, the lack of choice. But I do believe Joel is right. I do believe that we are on the precipice of change, uh, especially looking at where our money goes. Uh, with regard to the nonprofit sector, though, I think his points are well taken that not-for-profits, if you're trying to really move the needle, change a societal mechanism, uh, there's a lot more opportunity once you understand how to play with what he calls 50 trillion, uh, that'll be changing hands, how to work with economic forces, how to restructure them. Uh, because you know what? That's, um, it's a lot of money and it can do a lot of good or it can continue to do the level of damage it has done uh, and borrow resources from future generations, uh, as he refers to it. Well, no shortage of things for you to think about uh, on on your walk or drive, wherever you're listening to this podcast. Thanks for joining us. As always, you will find resources to this podcast, including a book and links at episode number 73, wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. Today's music, socially responsibly produced by the one and only Greg Thomas, gregthomasmusic.org. Find him, use his tunes, and I promise good things will happen. Well, I can't promise that, but they probably will.